Hello, Credit Union community. My name is Randy Smith. I am one of the co-founders and the publisher of CUInsight.com, and we could not be more excited to bring you the first episode of our podcast, The CU Insight Experience. The goal of the podcast is to have wide-ranging discussions with thought leaders from around the credit union community, the people we get to work with on a daily basis, folks we've met over the years at credit union conferences, to really pick their brain and see if we can't find some nuggets that we can share with you. On this first episode, we were lucky enough and we are grateful to have Mr. Jim Nussel, the president and CEO of CUNA. He was willing to be our guinea pig over his holiday season, which we are so thankful for. And you will see in the discussion that we talk about everything in the beginning from CUNA's advocacy efforts, the big wins from 2018, the hopes for 2019, what CUNA does for credit unions on a, a daily basis. We then move into GAC. Jim was extremely excited about the lineup, what the credit union community can expect from this year's GAC, and his hopes on what we'll all take home and back to our credit unions after the event is over. From there, we talk about leadership and life hacks. I, I think you, you'll really enjoy when I ask Jim about how when he kind of butts up against a challenge, does he bring himself back together or think about things a little bit differently? It was, it was a cool part of the conversation. And then in the final section, which will be a staple in every one of our podcasts, we ask rapid fire questions. We have had a blast putting these together and kind of putting the guest on the spot where we get to know them a little bit better. So the questions are rapid. The answers don't have to be, but that's a lot of fun. So make sure you listen all the way through. Without further ado, though, I will not take up any more of your time. Let's just get to the good stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jim Nussel. Jim, thanks for joining us today, our first ever See You Inside experience. You know, I wanted to jump just right into questions. I, I will throw this out. Congratulations to you and Ryan. I saw the Hill article where you're named, you know, top lobbyist in Washington. So congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you, Thank you very much. And that's kind of where I wanted to get started was, you know, again, since we're in December right now, the idea that like the midterms just happened and we just saw that, I'm not even sure what you call it with the president and the leaders of the, the Democratic Party. But when you look at what CUNA is doing, we think of advocacy a lot around GAC and it seems like around elections and when you guys have big wins. But could you share with the credit union community what CUNA does and your team does on a day-to-day -day basis throughout the course of the year for credit unions? So from my standpoint, where I sit and what I try and both instill in my team and what I know they instill in me is that we want to be every single day the champions for credit unions in so many different ways, whether that's maybe it's in the halls of Congress, maybe it's at the NCUA, maybe it's in a media interview, maybe it's out in the states at a state capital and a tax fight or in the marketplace as we try and face consumers and, and encourage them to open their eyes to credit unions. That's what we want to do is we want to every day, every way, be the champion uh, for credit unions and the challenges they are facing today and in the future and the opportunities that they have as well to serve a whole new generation of Americans. That's true. Do you have any, I guess, favorite wins, big wins this year? I know there's been quite a few. I would say, so this is the interesting thing. And in fact, I just had the opportunity to to say this to my board, if you if you were looking at an association down the street and and that association could report to you that in one year, in fact, how about in three years that they 
protected existential tax status at the national level, number one, that we did battle together with our league partners in Iowa in this instance to protect the tax status at the state level. And we also got regulatory relief in a bipartisan way through a completely dysfunctional uh, Congress and uh, political environment in Washington. That would be enough for an association to have as part of their plan for three or five years. The fact that we as a system, CUNA, leagues, credit unions, professionals, all working together, system partners as well, CUNA Mutual has been instrumental in this partnership, that we were able to do that in just one year is uh, phenomenal. And that's not even all we did. I mean, you, you take on some of the fights we did in the courts over data breaches and over protecting the expanse of uh, the, the membership, the field of membership. So we were doing so many other things, but just those three alone are kind of, for any association, probably enough to do in three years. Yeah, that's, I mean, like I said, big wins, right? So, but I was thinking of like, people are so, it seems like, whether in Washington or on Main Street, just very divided, like the line in the sand, yeah. this side. So that idea of you represent your constituents or credit unions, and that means working with both sides of the aisle to get the agenda passed. So you know, I was really like, how do you, as the leader of CUNA and the, you know, the, the credit union system in Washington, how do you, you know, kind of keep your constituents, credit unions motivated for the greater credit union good? When that might mean supporting financially even, and, you know, through the PACs or working with people that are on the opposite side of the aisle and where personally they may want nothing to do with. That, to me, it seems like just a challenge, right? Like that you have to deal with on a daily basis. It can be, but I, I think the, the challenge is, is self-motivating, meaning that I think credit unions have seen the challenges with overregulation, uh, the, war, the war for talent uh, in the marketplace, the cool. need to peer network, uh, the compliance challenges. I think that's enough motivation right there for them to be engaged. And so I have, a, I have maybe the easiest job of all in motivating. I think they're, they're self-motivated. And I, I walked into this association knowing having been on the receiving end of that motivation and advocacy. And so, you know, the first chance I had, it was just a matter of how do you harness that and do the best you could to nurture that. But I think the environment, you're right. I mean, it's a very tribal environment politically now. And I, I, uh, it's frustrating for someone who came from public service and saw the good of public service and how even in sometimes partisan ways, sometimes bipartisan ways, you could accomplish things. Now no one's accomplishing anything or it's very difficult to accomplish much at all. And I think that's when it becomes difficult to motivate because people wonder whether what they're doing makes a difference. And I can report to you that after the year we just had, as I said, you know, taking on the banks at the national level, at the state level, and then passing regulatory relief, probably the biggest bill we've ever passed, certainly since 11, uh, 1151, I would say is a lot of motivation to fire up the advocacy army to go into the next battle. That's coming up with GAC, which we'll touch on next. I mean, getting everybody together. But just to stick with that a little bit, do you think it's going to be more difficult over the next two years? I mean, with that environment or you know, fresh off the winds over the past year, is that like momentum that can continue? Well, you know, it's interesting. What I've always been impressed with, Randy, is that in credit unions, 
we're bipartisan by nature. We have we have champions on both sides. Yep. I was amazed the first time I sat down with our PAC committee and and went through that that very first election year that I was here, and truly magically, it didn't not because we were deliberate about it. We came out almost exactly even to the dollar of Republicans that were supported and Democrats that were supported because, not because we were trying to, but because we have that much bipartisan support. So even from this last election, even though there was upheaval, even though there was change of leadership in the House and changes in the in the Senate as well, I think credit unions not only have a seat at the table as a result of the work that we've done, I actually believe we helped set the table because of the work uh, that we did in each state, each district, every Senate race that uh, that we were involved with. I think we were involved in 388 races, and they weren't just to support our champions. So I'll give you an example. My former district, we had a Republican, so I was a Republican, so this is my successors, a Republican that we went after because he did not support credit unions. So we supported, even though he was an incumbent, we supported his Democratic challenger, uh, a young uh, legislator, a young woman legislator from Iowa, and we beat him. Yep. And as okay. a result of beating that incumbent, I think we also send a signal that we're going to support our friends. But if, you, if you're going to cross us, we're going to come after you, too. And I think I will just say from my own experience that support is a good motivation. Every once in a while, fear is not a bad motivation to throw into the mix. That's such an interesting story for me. I mean, like the idea that that was your old district. And yeah, it was my old district. And most people back home probably are maybe a little disappointed in me <laughs> that I went after a Republican. But I, you know, that's what you do because I'm partisan for credit unions. Absolutely. I, I don't have to be, I don't have to be party partisan, but I'm partisan for credit unions. That's for sure. That's awesome. Not only in the past couple of years since you've been with CUNA, but even beforehand, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. How has Washington changed, I guess, since you first showed up there? You know, I think the media, social media and the media in general, and, I, and that's not meant to blame the media. I think that's overblown and overplayed. But the difference today is that, you know, you can pick your channel. If you don't like the message on one channel, you can pick a channel that you agree with and not necessarily hear an opposite side or a different side or a different perspective. That's different from, and then it's all the time, 24 yep. seven. And then you add in social, which can be very mean, very uh, uh, negative. I mean, extremely in some instances, you add that into the mix it makes the, and I don't want to just blame the media because the, the politicians have responsibility, as I did. I'm, I don't come into this with clean hands as though I never was partisan. But, but we also, I think, knew that there was a moment in time, because I was the budget chairman in the, in the House of Representatives, and then I was in the White House as budget director. There was no way to pass a budget, and I passed six of them. There was no way to pass one unless you were working with everybody. That's probably the toughest thing to pass. And uh, to even have any chance of doing that in the House of Representatives in particular, you pretty much, uh, uh, you know, had to had to work all, all sides of the equation. One thing I'd add, though, to so this most recent what President Trump was referring to as the as the Schumer and Pelosi uh, Oval Office encounter to me. I look at that, yes, I mean, there are people who are shaking their head and there goes Washington again, it's dysfunctional. I actually am encouraged by the fact that in the biggest, strongest, most powerful country in the world, that somebody can walk into the Oval Office 
and, and in a respectful way, some may disagree if it was respectful, whatever, speak truth to power and challenge the leader of the free world. And you don't, I'll tell you what, name me another country where that's that obvious or accessible. And I think that's the beauty of America and our political system that whether you're Nancy Pelosi and the next Speaker of the House or you're Jim Nussel or a credit union advocate, you can come to Washington and poke your your finger in the <laughs> chest of the representatives and say, I want you to listen to something that's that's important to the people that you represent. That's pretty important. I love it. Has there been a change over the past few years in credit unions that you've noticed? I'm certainly not the person that coined this phrase. I think actually Thomas Friedman may be the author of this phrase in his new book, um, uh, Sorry for Being Late, but he called it the age of acceleration, meaning that everything is happening faster and faster and the acceleration of change, of disruption, of innovation, of technology, of uh, de uh, consumer demands, it's happening faster every single day. And every time you have a new entrant, the fact that I can shop from my smartphone for Christmas, as an example, and have it delivered within a day or two days to my front door, wrapped and ready to stick under the Christmas tree, makes it just as challenging when a member of a credit union walks into a branch or wants to interact with their credit union, maybe to get a small small loan or something like that. Absolutely. Their demand is, well, gosh, I can click through with Amazon, or I can even talk to my Alexa, which is why I did that at the GAC. <laughs> I introduced, you know, hey, Alexa, what's a credit union? That's their expectation now. Well, if they can expect that from Amazon, and they can expect it from anybody else, you're darn right it's going to change the expectation of a consumer or a member of a credit union when they walk into their financial services, and it's only accelerating. So that would be, to me, the biggest change I've seen, and I know that. So to me, credit unions are uniquely positioned because we know our member the very best, and we have the opportunity, because we know them, to meet them where they want us to meet them, to, to serve their, their needs. Yep. But – you know, some some need to accelerate their change within their credit union uh, to make sure that happens. It's so interesting what you're talking about there. I mean, on the plane yesterday, I was listening to a podcast and they had the CEO of Walmart on there. And he was talking about, it was so interesting from a corporate level, their message where internally they like to think they're still that company from Arkansas, you know, type yeah. of a thing. But he's like, we're a digital company and an analytics company. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, but the way he was talking about, like, as a leadership team, they feel like they're positioned well because they know their customers. But yet they have to change that so much as well, where, you know, he's like, what we're doing today will be different a year from now. So, you know, across industry to speak to what you're speaking of, it's just a constant right. change. So, yeah, that's interesting. If we were to jump in the time machine, it's a year. We're sitting down maybe in person this time next year or something of that nature, right? And we're, we're talking about what your greatest accomplishment, what CUNA's greatest accomplishment was of 2019. What do you hope to be? I, I would say we're... We're always focused on our four pillars. We're trying to, on the one hand, reduce the regulatory burden or make it consistent and predictable. And uh, so that would be definitely number one. Next is data security and cybersecurity and recognizing that we're living in this new data world and, and the expectations are different. And, uh, and so that would be a, a whole other 
uh, bucket. We want to expand the powers of credit unions to be able to serve uh, our members and members of the future in whole new ways. Uh, we blew the, the lid off of, uh, of member business lending this last year with the changes that we made to the point where it's practically not an issue for many credit unions. That's a huge opportunity, uh, but there are challenges there too. So how do we, where are the next challenges that we can create opportunities for credit unions to serve our members and their communities? And last but not least, are the table stakes of protecting the tax status, but also at the state level. That's that's yeah. where the challenge is going to be. I think this year we may see it again in Iowa. I know we're going to have a challenge in Wisconsin, and uh, I would also keep an eye on Kentucky. And we're together with those leagues already uh, doing battle uh, on behalf of the credit unions in that area, including the credit unions in that area. Let's jump ahead to GAC. Biggest event, obviously, each year in credit union land, you know, the CUNA Governmental Affairs Conference. What can people expect this year at GAC? Well, you know, so first we have some some cool uh, keynote speakers. Uh, John Kerry is going to come and and uh, speak. Last year we had George W. Bush, and he was so engaging. What a fun ex experience that was for me. Even even I mean, I worked for him, but that doesn't. It just was fun, and I hope we have a similar experience with with John Kerry. I mean, last year when when George W. Bush, there were a few maybe Democrats who thought, I'm not sure I really want to see that, and they loved it. This year, I've had a few Republicans say, well, I'm not sure about, trust me, you're going to love this. These people, they're human beings. They have some great experience. They're real people. Uh, they want to share those experiences with us. And I think you'll be both entertained, but also, I think, enlightened by that. And then Malcolm Gladwell, we've got a lot. So we've got a bunch of, of great uh, folks who can give us some perspective about the challenges that lay ahead in advocacy but also in other areas. And we're going to have more great news about the rollout of the of the new awareness effort uh, of Open Your Eyes. We want to open as many eyes next year, <laughs> hundreds of millions of people to uh, open their eyes to credit unions that have maybe, maybe opened their eyes before, but didn't consider us. We want them to consider credit unions in the future so we can expand our market. I had that written down to ask you about if having your former bosses there last year, if that was a, that had to be quite the experience, right? Just to have that conversation on stage. And I remember as people were leaving it, no matter what their political affiliation was, they just really enjoyed that. Like people, I think were even surprised by it, just how good humored it was and everything like that. And my guess is that was part of it was his relationship with you. So that had to be a lot of well, fun. Yeah, he threw me a curve. So when we first set it up, his people had said, you know, he'll come out and give a little speech and then you can come on and ask him some questions. Well, the first thing he did was he didn't want to make a speech. He said, let's just talk. I was like, <laughs> uh, okay. And really? I had written out, I had written just to kind of, maybe it was nervousness. I don't know, but I had written out nine questions. I only asked one. <laughs> the rest of the time it was just, it was kind of this free form, you know, where we, well, we, oh, well, now that you mentioned that, let's go here. Well, let's go there. I mean, so it was, uh, it was a great experience. And as I think people, people got to see the, the, I'm going to say this. It may sound disrespectful. I get they got to see the guy I got to see. Yep. Uh, yep. He's the that. president of the United States, but he's a human being. Yeah. He's a dad. He's a husband. He's a son, as we as we just saw with his dad passing away. So, and gosh, we need more of that authenticity from our public people. If we did, I think we would have. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's uh, just uh, <laughs> pie in the sky. But I think we'd be better off if we saw more of that. The human side, right? Yeah. So, absolutely. Again, this, I would say, is one of these scratch my own itch questions. I, it's that idea of 
Like when you're walking up every year, you get this opportunity to kind of welcome everybody to GAC. In my mind, it would kind of set the tone to what's to come. Do you have self-talk? Do you have superstitions before you go on stage? Because my guess is that's the, the largest audience for credit unions, you know, each year when you walk out there that very first time. You kind of mentioned before President Bush came out there, how you prepared for it might have been different than if it was somebody else. Is there something you do every year when you're getting ready to come out there? Well, yes, yeah, a great question. I mean, first of all, it will surprise you and probably anybody sitting in the audience to learn that I am, I tend to uh, test as an introvert. So I gain my strength or my battery recharge internally. So I read a lot. I've read probably 15, 20 books this last year as an example. And everything from the biography of Bruce Springsteen and and uh, and Keith Richards to like I was saying you know that, Thomas that Keith Richards biography is a fantastic one I, I, I read that last year well and, and Bruce Springsteen too I mean they're, it's they're amazing they're really amazing but at any rate so that's where I get my energy from and I okay. don't necessarily get it from standing in front of 5,000 people so I guess per Preparation is important for me. I, I tend to write out my speech. I write my own. I don't try and rely on others, although I do bounce ideas. Uh, and then the second thing I do is I've involved Karen, my wife Karen, involved in these. Every year we've come out together to do something to try and set the tone. Everything from the first year we did that goofy house of cards yeah. shtick as I was brand new. And the walk-up music too, by the way, People don't maybe pay as much attention to, but my first year I did the who, who are you? Because I no one knew who I was. So yep. the walk up music, I did pick every once in a while. <laughs> so I do those kinds of things. And then I want to try and get people to think. And the whole conference is about that too. But that's why okay. I did the, you know, putting an Alexa on the stage. And I, I'm told I'm the first one that has ever interviewed an Alexa on the stage anywhere uh, <laughs> with this Alexa and say, tell me what a credit union is. Tell me where I can find one. You know, all of these things. But it's a way to get people to think and say, wow, huh, hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. I see where he's going with that. And so it's those kinds of, I don't know if it if it works, some some probably like that. Some are saying, okay, bring on George W. Bush. I'm, I'm done with this. Yeah, I'm ready to see this. <laughs> Two things on that. I'm with you on, it surprises people about me that I am, I consider myself an introvert that plays an extrovert, but I always need to bring it back and take some time away. This is my favorite bar room question. We were just, you just talked about The Who and, and the Bruce Springsteen book and stuff like that. Greatest rock and roll album in your opinion, front to back. You don't skip a song. What is it? Oh, for me, it's the um, uh, it's the Eagles and it's the best of the Eagles. I mean, so if you were on a the, the other way, they ask the question is so if you're stranded on a desert island, what's the one album you would want to have with you? And I'm I'm an Eagles fan um, from the very beginning. I love the acoustic. I play guitar and I play acoustic. If I go to anything, it's more acoustic than electric. So I would say probably the Eagles. And I just saw them probably for the last time. They just played with James Taylor here in Washington and Karen and I went and had really nice seats. And And, and Glenn Fry's son is now the lead for uh, okay. Glenn passed away. But I think they're just cashing checks now. I'm not sure they're doing what they used to do in Jim's humble opinion. In your humble opinion. Well, hey. That's, Hopefully we Don Henley doesn't watch your podcast. <laughs> right. I'm sure he won't. But <laughs> you never know. He may have a big interest in credit unions. Uh, let's see. Well, one last thing about GAC. If you had to pick one thing this year that you hope the credit union community goes home with, what is it? Well, I know they're going to go home with advocacy. 
I, I know that that's kind of almost table stakes. So telling our story about the credit union difference becomes kind of the table stakes. The other one that I hope they, they go with as kind of the extra credit, the cherry on top, is opening America's eyes to credit unions. We have a great new effort, brand platform, and first rollout campaign. It's gaining a lot of good momentum throughout the states and with credit unions contributing to this effort. It's going to be digital, so it's not just broadcast on television going wherever it goes. It's actually surgically placed digitally at the consumer's beck and call when they're in the moment of making decisions about a car loan, joining a credit union, making a deposit, deciding they want a mortgage, things like that. So we've got a really cool operation, and I hope people will pay attention uh, to that. So those are, I would say those are two easy takeaways that I hope people leave the conference with. I look forward to it every year. It's my favorite thing to go to, and then I'm also ready to leave by Wednesday or Thursday. So. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of town. Be done with you. <laughs> no, no, I'm ready. So switching gears, this is something that I want to continue throughout the course of the year when I talk to people, so many smart people in credit union world, it's kind of on that leadership side again probably a scratching my own itch. It's stuff I find interesting, but just some quick questions. What was it about credit unions originally that kind of drew you to taking the role of president and CEO of CUNA? Uh, they make dreams come true for people. And the their mission is so central to everything. What our folks do at the heart of finances may seem like just a financial decision, but it is the nucleus for everything, making dreams come true, sending kids to college, having opportunities in the future, owning your own home, owning anything, owning a car, and then being able to retire in, with dignity. All of those dreams and kind of basics, credit unions get to be at the center of as their best financial partner. And my gosh, the chance that we have to serve them and be their champion is uh, quite alluring. Plus, I also knew from, a, from an advocate like me standpoint, this was the best, if not certainly one of the best advocacy organizations in the country. And to have the chance to be part of that, let alone run it uh, and lead it is a true honor. Has that inspiration changed overall with time on the job or anything that surprised you? No, in fact, I went to DE this last year in, in 2018, but I kind of feel like I'm now a credit union Jedi Knight, you know, as though that's, you know, it's kind of self-proclaimed, of course, uh, trying to be really immodest about this. But no, <laughs> I really feel the difference. And yeah. I think the more people who understand that, understand the difference between we're a movement we're, we're not just an industry. It's yeah. different. Yeah. And if you understand the difference you can make in people's lives and the way you can move them, that truly is a movement. So I would say, no, it has only grown in <laughs> intensity as I've as I've had the honor to, to be here. If my team hears me say fail fast, fail cheap, and then do it again, one more time, they probably want to poke mm -hmm. me in the eye. Do you have some line that your team, they in every meeting, they're like, Jim, we know they're finishing your sentence. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I use the words, you know, growing is winning. I've always thought that's true about, but I have this on my desk and it's a saying that I've had on my desk since I came to Washington. And it says, it's a quote that is attributed to Ronald Reagan and his signature is at the bottom. And it says, there is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. Oh, that's awesome. It, it, and it's so true. I don't do anything here without a great team. Our superpowers are based on our cooperative principles. The cooperative superpowers give us a chance to do things and impact people 
like nobody else. And our willingness to do that without caring who gets the credit is a blessing. It can be a curse sometimes because we need to tell our story better and be willing to take a little bit of that credit. I agree with that completely. But it's so important. And so I'm not sure if my staff would finish that sentence, but I can tell you this has been on my desk. I look at it every day and it's been on my desk for for 20 years, ever since I came to uh, Washington. And uh, it has, uh, maybe I'm never this immodest, I may, I, or modest, or, or <laughs> I hope I am, but I also know I don't do anything by myself. I've, I've got a great team and that's the only way you get anything done. Thanks for sharing that. The next question, it's interesting. I plan on asking, like I said, to pretty much like everybody that I bring on the show, but for you, I feel like there's almost three parts of it in the sense of how do you keep your message from a leadership standpoint to your team fresh? But also, I mean, how does your team then keep the message fresh to credit unions? And then how do you keep the credit union message fresh to Washington? Well, so here's another saying that, I, and I don't know where I stole this from, but I, I realized I did not make this up. <laughs> but there is a advice that communicators give, and again, I'm not sure where I got this, that the only way to communicate or the only way for your for your message to sink in is if you say it or communicate it seven times, seven ways. People don't always hear it the first time you say it. You need to say it just a little different the next time. And maybe by the fourth time they've it first hit them. But it will take almost seven times before it completely sinks in and you've got it. That's a long way of saying that I think what we should realize is that we need to, communication is a constant. It's not a one and done. It's not a drop the mic effort ever. And even if you change it up a little bit every single time, I think it's important to repeat messages, stay consistent with those principles and messages if you want it to sink in and if you want it to have any impact. Yep. I'm with you there. So is there anything that like when you're facing a challenge, you and your team are working on something that you do to kind of keep moving that forward when you're kind of you know, hitting up against the wall. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do it in front of my team, but I <laughs> literally, my my release, both for stress and maybe to help me think, is to play guitar. That's um, a okay. It's, yeah. a, it's a right brain, left brain kind of thing where I use a different part of the brain and it helps, I think. So for me, it's, yeah, it's music. Stepping uh, away and music. Eh? Yeah, stepping yeah. away and being able to think about it while you're doing something else will often help me uh, deal with those kinds of challenges. So, Awesome. The l- last question on the leadership. I saw recently that you and Karen endowed a scholarship at your alma mater. So congratulations on that. That seems Thank awesome. You. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And like what motivated you at this point of life to, that that was important to the two of you? Giving back is, I think, for all of us, important. You know, when you first get a chance to do that in your life, I don't care how big or small it is, you realize the joy that that is, especially if if it isn't necessarily even attributed to you. So we don't have contact with the scholars. We want the school to make that decision. We want them to decide uh, who has uh, who has excelled. But the, the real reason for me, I, at every step along the way in my journey of my career and my learning path, there was always somebody there. Sometimes I knew them. Sometimes I didn't know them altogether well. But they gave me a shove. They gave me a push. Maybe it was a hand up, um, gave me some encouragement. Some of them, I mean, my mentor that that uh, that I would say is my mentor, that I can trace every step of my career path back to a conversation I had in college. 
I still keep in touch with. And there are people along the way like that who help me either encouragement, financially, whatever. And so now it's my turn. And I think we all have that responsibility, if for no other reason, just to keep that chain going to, you know, to give back a little. So it's a modest start. Hopefully we can build it over time. And, and hopefully someday someone will be sitting in this chair that can say, maybe not Jim did it, but could somebody <laughs> helped them. And Absolutely. the way I'm able to say that, that's what I think both of us are trying to do. Well, congratulations again. I think it's amazing. So the last chunk, just a few rapid fire questions. And I'm going to skip down actually one from that I thought I was going to end with, but I think it ties into the scholarship is, you know, as you've gotten older, are there things that have become more important to you and maybe some things that you focused on earlier in life that have just become less important? That's a great question. I mean, certainly time. Time is more important to me maybe than money. And I mean, I wish, so I, I probably always wanted to be a rock and roll guitar player. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I finally have discovered that YouTube is the best teacher in the world for that. So spending time with music for me is, has become much more important probably than, than ever before. Next one. If you hear the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind? The first person, wow, outside of my family and my parents, we just celebrated the 70th birthday of the minister in the church that I grew up in, 70th birthday, still a minister in the church where I grew up. I met him when I was uh, 14 years old, and he's been like a brother and certainly a mentor in addition to this uh, this career mentor. And boy, is he successful. And he just, he loves life and loves his family, and he's a success. Don Borling, Don Borling is his name. Don Borling. Well, that, that is awesome. I love it. Last two, real quick. Every morning, I, I started doing this a couple of years ago. First thing I do when I sit down is I kind of dump everything out of my head onto a journal. I should be sponsored mm -hmm. by Moleskin. I have them all over the house. If I don't do it any given day, my day kind of feels off. Like there's too much jumble, I guess, going on, you know? And, and do you have any rituals, any things you do daily? Um, I never have. <laughs> I do not have any unopened emails in my inbox. At the end of the I'm day, the same way. <laughs> at the end of the day, everyone is open. It may be flagged to read again or to do something with or whatever, but every every email is open when I go to bed. <laughs> you have to have it. No no pop-ups on the phone or the anything like right. that, right? Yeah. I'm with you on that one. The last one, and it was something you mentioned earlier, so I was glad I had this on here. Like you, I'm a, a reader. I laugh because at our house we have a stack of books that's probably over knee high that we just keep hearing other people telling us about and you're like which one am i going to read next we just keep buying them but and you mentioned you read 15 books last or, you know probably around 15 books last year is there a book over your life or recently that you've gifted to other people or that you recommend and just think everybody should read well the seven habits of of highly successful people maybe i don't practice always what i would preach or what certainly Stephen Covey preached. I actually got to meet Stephen Covey and got to visit with him about his book when I was in Congress. So that would be one I would certainly gift. Uh, the other one that comes to mind, I'm forgetting the exact title, but it's 90 Days for Success. And it's a way to transition as a leader into a new operation. Those are two that I have gifted people because I think they're just outstanding ways to think to organize your thoughts, then you can go anywhere. You can, you can use those principles, you know, to run a car company or you can run a credit union association, probably run a credit union or just organize your, your, you know, your home life. Uh, so those are probably the two that immediately come to mind. There's probably better ones, but those are the two that come to mind. Uh, I love it. I love it.
if people have more questions of you, is that Nussle on Twitter the best way to get a hold of you? That's fine. Or or you can you can certainly give them my email address, jnussle at cuna.coop. J Nussel, N-U-S-S-L-E at cuna.coop. We will have that in there too then. And, and then finally, uh, you know, again, thank you very much for taking the time and being sure. the first on this. Do you have any final thoughts, any asks of the people that are listening before we uh, sign off? I would say probably, and I, I wish that John F. Kennedy hadn't have said this because as soon as you say something like this, say, well, I, yeah, that you're not Kennedy and I'm not. But he said, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And it, the same is really true for associations is that, you know, if somebody thinks that you hired Jim Nussel or Ryan Donovan or whoever it might be, and you kind of hope they go do it for us, they go do it, they just go do that job so that we don't have to. That's not how this works, that our association is only strong, is only effective if we do it together. And part of my job is to remind you of those cooperative superpowers that associations are what we do together, not what you hire somebody to go do for you. And that's an important uh, kind of first principle that I know credit unions understand, certainly if anyone does, but uh, it's just I think it's a healthy reminder. Well, that's awesome. Great way to wrap it up. Thank you again, Jim. I greatly appreciate it. And we will see you in D.C. at GAC. Sounds good. Thanks, Randy. Thank you very much.